This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. We all know from experience that compliance can suck. But what if compliance didn't have to suck? Well, there's a better way. Our friends at ByteCheck developed the first ever managed service for SOC 2. Leverage the ByteCheck platform to complete your SOC 2 examination faster without the headache. The ByteCheck team works as an extension of your team and bring a combined 30 plus years of experience to help your team prepare evidence, draft SOC 2 report sections, and provide all the necessary information and artifacts to your auditors. Reach out to the ByteCheck team today to learn more at ByteCheck.com and tell them Hacker Valley Studio sent you. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. All of our listeners know that we love speaking to authors, leaders, and mentors. Well, our guest this episode is a mix of all three. Our guest is Chris Castaldo. Chris is the Chief Information Security Officer at Crossbeam and also author of the new title, Startup Secure. Chris Cochran and I have both had the opportunity to work with Chris, and we know how far his expertise runs. It was great catching up with Chris this episode, and let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Our guest today is our good friend, Chris Castaldo. Chris is the author of Startup Secure, Baking Cybersecurity into Your Company from Founding to Exit. Chris has also served as a Chief Information Security Officer several times over and is currently at Crossbeam. And Chris is also the Visiting Fellow at the National Security Institute. Chris, this episode is a long time coming. I feel like it's perfect timing, though, with the new book. And most importantly, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you both. I'm so happy we, we finally made this happen. So excited, Chris. We've known each other for many years at this point, and we've definitely helped each other in so many ways. I think you've helped me more than I've helped you, but for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Yeah, to start at the beginning, I got into security from the, I guess, what people would consider the sexy side of things, red teaming, pen testing. That's where I got my start and worked my way through a lot of different organizations, startups in the government, and eventually found my my passion for leading and, and being a people manager and helping others succeed in cybersecurity, whatever it is they want to do. It's been an exciting, exciting journey. And that has culminated into several years worth of writing. And my book that just just came out, it's available for pre-order at the moment. Yeah, I'm so excited to, to be here and, and talk about that and uh, among many other things. Yeah. So let's talk about your book for a moment. What is it about uh, and why did you choose that particular subject to write on? Because it's such a huge endeavor to put something together that you're going to share with the world. So why did that pull you in to, to write about? I've always been really passionate about startups. I love working at them. I've always wanted to start my own company and going through the lists of 10 top 
books every entrepreneur should read or every founder should read. I went through quite, quite a few of those lists and a lot of those books, and I didn't find a single one that mentioned cybersecurity or that type of risk at all. They might touch on building your product, scaling, maybe a little bit about finance and accounting, but not a single one that I could find talked about cybersecurity. And there's so many things I've seen working at many different companies now where, geez, if they just implemented this one thing at the start, we wouldn't be doing all this expensive rework four, five, 10 years later. So I wanted to create something and write something directly to and for founders, something that was very consumable and also very actionable, right? There's so many rabbit holes you can go down in cybersecurity and being a CISO at several different companies now, seeing how my message is received and when people's eyes start glazing over, right? When you start talking about technical things or risks, you know, why we should implement this tool or why we should change this policy. I, w I wanted to write something for those founders that, that would eventually just, their eyes would glaze over reading any other cybersecurity book out there just because they are so comprehensive and technical. And a lot of them are, you know, written for folks like us that have been in the trenches, that understand these complex systems and complex policies and implementing them. So that, that's where the passion came from. And then my experience working at startups, working at large Fortune 1000s, and solving the same problem over and over again. Seeing the same thing, maybe we solve it in a slightly different way, but just seeing the same problem over and over again. So I wanted it to be something that we, obviously when, when we're all traveling again, but someone could pick the book up and read it in a coast to coast flight, right? East, going East coast to West coast or West coast to East coast, easy to read and easy to action. That, that was my goal with the book. I think people can still read it coast to coast just because we're sitting at home all day and <laughs> I still yeah. have the time. <laughs> There's something that I wanted to talk to you about, which I feel as though we might have both experienced, especially for myself at least, is working at a cybersecurity startup, thinking of implementing cybersecurity from founding to exit. From my experience, a lot of cybersecurity startups don't implement cybersecurity themselves. Have you experienced the same and how do we overcome that, that, that obstacle from doing it from the jump and really eating your own dog food as a cybersecurity company? Yeah, I think that's a whole part in and of itself. Startup that's in cybersecurity, I would say, is going to face different challenges than a startup that is uh, purely B2B and say sales or a startup that's B2C selling to consumers. Certainly think exactly what you said there. You need to eat your own dog food. When you are a cybersecurity company and you're selling to folks like us, we're, we're going to ask the hard questions regardless of what your own vendor review process is, whether it's uh, very lengthy or just uh, a quick phone call with their security team to make you feel comfortable that, oh yeah, these folks, they know cybersecurity, they've got it all buttoned up. We could definitely use this product. You do face the challenge though, and I talk about that in the book, is really weighing those risks of 
building a product and building a secure company because sometimes those can be two very different things. And as a founding team, let's say less than 20 employees, you're going to be full throttle trying to get an MVP, a minimal viable product out the door. Maybe you have lighthouse customers that are fully understanding of what the maturity is of the product and the company. Once you start scaling and, and going through that startup life cycle, right, from validation into growth, you're going to start getting those more challenging questions, those specific customers that that aren't a lighthouse customer and aren't going to give you the leeway that maybe some of those earlier customers did. So there's that balance that founding team needs to take into account when you're building that product, but you're also building the company at the same time. So there's very small things you can initially do, getting access and accountability in correctly the first time, right? Whether you're using G Suites or Office 365, it's much easier to turn on all the security settings and those types of systems, right? Force MFA, multi-factor authentication, force that at the start when you're less than 20 employees than it is five, six years later when you're 100 employees, 200, 500 employees, right? Yep. Now you're starting to impact systems that didn't exist when you started the company. So I think I think there's definitely differences between a cybersecurity startup, a run-of-the-mill B2B uh, SaaS startup, and a business-to-consumer startup. A lot of different things, especially privacy. Consumer-facing uh, companies definitely are going to get hit a lot more with privacy, right? It's apparent that you're still passionate about cybersecurity. What gets you out of bed every day? What get you out of bed and excited about the mission uh, in cybersecurity, even though you've had such a, a long career so far? Every day is pretty different. We might see the same problems over and over again, uh, but having to solve them in a different way, that's really what motivates me. That's why I love working at startups. You go from one company to another, they've got different systems, they've got a different culture, different way of doing things, different way of literally solving problems in the business. So that's really what motivates me every day is to just face that new problem that day. And I'm not not saying anything new to, to you or probably your audience that cybersecurity is always solving a new problem. Look at the news. There's something almost every week. Maybe we get one crazy big event uh, a year like solar winds, but right. there's just so much out there to do and solve and figure out different ways to do that. When do you, can you tell us your earliest memory of you solving a problem? Did this start in childhood? Did you like puzzles? Like where did that love for solving problems really begin? I'd say two parts. I was introduced to computers at a young age, building a kit from Radio Shack with my grandfather. So that kind of spurred the, the interest in computers, but that only turned into playing original SimCity and Tetris. There wasn't, uh, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of uh, programming going on at that early age. And then I'd say in middle school, once I found found out about DEF CON and 2600 and, and FRAC, and you started reading these publications and realizing, oh, there's, there's other things 
you can do with computers that weren't intended at all, right? That wasn't the feature that someone was building, but now that vulnerability is technically a feature to, you know, access a system in a way that it was unintended. So I'd say that was, uh, that was certainly my start. Like I said, my, my first official job in cybersecurity was on the, the red teaming pen testing side. And I think that kind of naturally led from one to the other, because that was really, at least in my time, that was the information that was out there. There wasn't a lot of defender information out there, or maybe I just didn't seek it out as much as I did the other content. But I think now folks getting into cybersecurity, gosh, there's so much amazing content out there that is both accessible and relatable, right, to, to someone that has no experience. And I think we're at an interesting point where we need so many people now in cybersecurity, and there is enough I think great content out there, like these podcasts, like many websites with just how-tos and guides and videos to bring people in that maybe never considered or never saw themselves working in cybersecurity. There, there is just so much data. And like to your point, back then there wasn't really that much. And I would imagine to come into cybersecurity as a penetration tester, as a red teamer, you really had to immerse yourself in cybersecurity, especially to understand how things break and when things break. But today, I'm sure it would be completely different to how you immerse yourself into all of this information. What was your strategy back then? And if you were to do it over again, what would be your strategy to immerse yourself and learn about pen testing and, and red teaming these days? It was certainly uh, using the available search engines back then. Uh, so it was, it was Yahoo. It was pre-Google uh, days, using those to the best of my ability. I'd say once I was in the real world and had a grown-up job, I, I would say what I would have done differently is really put more effort into networking. You hear that constantly of, oh, you should network. It's really important. Grow your network. Every time I would ask, well, like, how the hell do I do that? What am I supposed to do? Just like randomly uh, go up to people at conferences and say hello and try to introduce myself. And what do you do? And certainly someone as a, a kid that was not into just randomly going up and spurring a conversation with strangers, that, that was definitely not in my wheelhouse. I think there's more ability to do that now with all the professional social media platforms out there's now obviously remote conferences that you can go to but really looking for those opportunities to meet other people in the industry and it, it could be other engineers it could be other leaders doing things now that we've got linkedin I 100% would have been on LinkedIn trying to connect with either my peers or maybe CISOs that I'd like to work for one day. That's something I feel like I'd be in a much different spot if I'd put more effort into figuring out like, how do I network? How do I meet more people? And what can I do for those people? What do I bring to the table? And also trying to stamp down that imposter syndrome, right? You might want to reach out to some other rock star in cybersecurity and, and maybe you don't, don't feel like you have anything to offer them. You do. All of these folks have something to offer. And I'll give you a, a good example of why that's true. When I worked in the government, 
they had a, a fantastic internship program. They would bring folks out of school and they get to move around to different offices, really get to experience the organization from a very comprehensive view. And we brought a bunch of folks in that were in this program, went through the interview process with them and ended up extending an offer to one of the women that interviewed with us. The thing that set her apart besides just great interview is she sent a follow-up thank you note, which no one else did. But then I ended up learning an amazing amount from her. So she had a, a background in constitutional law, no background whatsoever in cybersecurity. So I had to tailor my message to, to make her a valuable part of the team. How do I get this person up to speed, kind of skip all this foundational knowledge and help them be a participating member of the team? So that challenged me in a lot of different ways. And I think if the, the shoes were on the other feet, like if it was me, I feel like, geez, I wouldn't be valuable to this team at all. I have no background in cybersecurity. So I, I think folks should really look for those opportunities to stretch completely outside of their comfort zone. Again, the networking and I, I think getting outside of your comfort zone, those would be two things I would have wished I would done a little more of earlier on in my career. Absolutely. And to your point, LinkedIn is a great platform for that. Me and Chris were constantly on LinkedIn, reaching out to potential guests, people we want to learn from, even yourself. And there's a lot of like focus groups. We're part of a group called Security Tinkerers, which really has a lot of great information for people like yourself that are chief information security officers. When you were immersing yourself into this new title, this new realm of cybersecurity, What's something that you found surprising when switching roles into managing and being a CISO? Boy, there were a lot of things. So obviously it was my first role was completely out of my comfort zone. I was an engineer for, for many years. I was very comfortable where I was. I knew my job very well. Not that it was easy, but you get to a point once you're in a role, we're in, in cruise control. You're maybe not learning as much as you did at the beginning. There were things like budgeting, employee reviews, knowing the difference between CapEx and OpEx, right? Like very mm -hmm. basic business things that as an engineer, you're not paying attention to any of that stuff because you don't have to. That's not your responsibility, so there, there were so many things in my first role that were just completely eye-opening and exciting. Again, going back to your question of what motivates you, right? It's learning new things and new skills that I don't already have. So that was a fun challenge, right? It was going out on my own, learning these things. I don't, I didn't go to school to, to get an MBA. I went for cybersecurity. It was interesting, again, to learn it from a different perspective and Going back to, to what I said a moment ago is maybe I, I didn't feel like I was bringing a lot to the table, but when I would ask questions, let's say in our staff meeting, because of my perspective from my offensive red teaming type background, it was questions no one else was thinking of or bringing up in those conversations. And that was really difficult to do. It was, it was a challenge because I didn't know how that would be perceived, right? Oh, this guy's asking that question. Why doesn't he already know the answer to that? And really overcoming that kind of initial instinct not to say anything and not to speak up or feeling like you're asking a stupid question, there, there really isn't, right? 
there's maybe other people in the room thinking that and just haven't asked it or no one's even considered it. So I'd say that was a, certainly a big, big hurdle to overcome, at least for me. And maybe other people had, had that experience in other roles too, engineering or management and leadership. As you step into different challenges, whether it's a bigger CISO role or writing a book, how do you attain these different skills? What is your method for learning the things that you don't know today? So the book was an amazing process. It was a lot of work. I probably don't have to tell any anyone listening to the podcast. I'm sure you could imagine writing 60 to 70,000 words to, to fill a book that's hopefully worth reading. I hope people pick it up and, <laughs> and find value in it. But really being stingy with your time and being purposeful with your day. I found that to be very helpful. Many years ago, before I left the government, a mentor of mine gave me a, a book about stoicism, and that kind of spurred a lot of things for me, a lot of things I've, I've felt or thought or weighed, ways I've viewed problems and really put it in a concise way. And the main thing I took took away from that is, is really being purposeful in how you spend your day, how you spend your time. We all get a, a finite amount of time here. So really making sure you're focusing on the right things day in, day out. And it's not easy to do. That was a four-year journey for me to write that book, trying to be purposeful and then getting distracted and, oh, there's there's other things to do or I've got writer's block and I you know can't finish this, can't think of more content for this chapter on compliance or, or something like that. I think really focusing in on, on what you're doing that hour, that day, and making the most of it, each thing you choose to do, whatever it is. Any recommendations for that book on stoicism? One of my favorite authors, modern day stoic, is Ryan Holiday. Yes. Yep. So it was his book, The Obstacle is the Way. Oh, great it one. was my introduction that opened the floodgates and I immediately subscribed to their, their little daily email, which always seems <laughs> oddly topical for whatever's <laughs> happening in the world or, or personally in my life. And it's not for, maybe not for everyone. Some people might, might view it as a little fatalistic or something like that, but I found it to be very helpful and really set a purposeful course in my own career. I think the title of that book is also very relevant to us in cybersecurity, especially as defenders. If you get <laughs> yep. hit with an attack, you have to go towards the obstacle. The obstacle is the way that is your that is going to be your path to resolution. How do you tackle problems these days as a CISO? What are your kind of core tenets for solving those really difficult problems? How do you break them down in your mind and approach them? So in any business, it's a team, right? This isn't something you're doing in a bubble or in a vacuum by yourself. Even if you're the only cybersecurity professional in that organization, it's still a team effort. In those types of situations, it's really bringing those core individuals together and trying to be the one that's helping translate that problem. Regardless of what that cyber attack might be, if we'll, we'll take that perspective, you're going to be coming into those situations where everyone's cortisol level is going to be through the roof. You're going to have various executives that are upset on the sales side, on the legal side, on the privacy side. 
So trying to be the the cool one in the room, especially if you're the one responsible for that stuff. If people look at you and see you're concerned and see that you're worried, they're immediately going to get worried, right? If the professional we've brought on board is really concerned about this thing, geez, we better pay attention. I think being the calming effect in those situations is really important. I... I'm not sure how to really teach that capability. I owe a lot of credit, I think, to my time in the army and deploying to Iraq and being in situations where it's as high stress level as you can possibly imagine. I think that's a really hard skill to learn without going through those situations. But it's really being that both team builder and that kind of team morale booster in those situations that we're going to get through this thing. Everyone's got their own part to play. Your head of comms, right? They're, they're an expertise in, okay, how are we going to message this to our customers? How are we going to message this to the public? How are we going to message this to our investors? Those are three different buckets and pieces of information. And then looking at from the legal standpoint, right? The legal team's going to be concerned about, are we in breach of any of our contracts or, or customers, if you're B2B, do we have customers that can now terminate without cause? So the, there's going to be folks that all have their own concerns. And in that situation, I, I view my role and our roles as cybersecurity pro- professionals or being those ones that's bringing everyone together in that incredibly stressful time. I love the fact that you mentioned team being so critical for solving those hard problems. When I'm describing my role as working in cybersecurity, I like to think of myself as playing a game of tower defense where I'm using many different characters to place on a field to stop defenders from getting into my tower, the middle of the crown jewels. Looking back at the SolarWinds attack, And being a tower defender, what are some of the things that you look at in retrospect? What are some of the pieces that you would have placed differently to create a secure environment if you were on the receiving end of that attack? I can't speak to that team. And I try to really have a lot of empathy for folks going through that and the folks responding to it on their end and their customers. But there's things you can go to in, I think, in within your own organization. And you, you should always be taking in these events. Or is this something that could happen here? What's the likelihood of that? A very, very simple, casual tabletop exercise almost of, hey, we saw this event happen. Here's what we know about it. Here's how it was executed. Can that happen here? What's the likelihood? And that really goes back to our roles as managing risk for the organization. At the end of the day, that is really when you distill our jobs down, that's what we're doing is managing risk for the organization because the business is always going to do what the business wants to do, right? They're they're going to take in all that information. They're going to decide what they want to do and what the course of action is. So I, I think the primary lear- lesson learned there is supply chain is something that most organizations need to look at, right? No one is invincible. So looking at your own cybersecurity tools even as, okay, what happens? What if this vendor gets compromised, right? What do they now have access to? What does that attacker have access to in our environment? And that's really where you start 
looking at residual risk and, and going back all the way to, okay, what's the, the final thing that is addressing this risk, right? We can't just, I guess you could if you want, but most people would not just remove their antivirus and EDR solution because it could be one day used as a vector for their environment. Probably not going to do that. I, I would not recommend doing that. But what's the residual risk and how are you treating that in the unlikely event that vendor is compromised and used to access your environment? So you go back then to looking at your contract. What provisions do you have in there? What's the liability? Looking at your cybersecurity insurance, does that cover those types of things? That was my, my initial thought is... As a customer, what coverage do I have now of a vendor that I have probably reviewed? They've got certification, and, and I'm not going to comment. I, I don't know what certifications that they do have publicly available, but you can imagine the vendor review process at any organizations that's using some type of tool like that where they're going to look at all those factors and say, okay, yep, this meets our standard. Now you've done that review, you've documented that, and you've approved it. How does that impact your coverage of cybersecurity insurance if you indeed were impacted by the attacker? So I think there's a lot of interesting things there to unpack and unfold. And it goes right back to what we were just talking about is the team, right? I'm not a legal expert. I don't have a background in law. I don't have an LLM. That's why I go to our GC for, right? They're the experts. They're the ones that can say, Here's the liability we have with our customers. Here's what our coverage is with our cyber cybersecurity insurance, those types of things. It really goes back to everyone in the business, all those leaders need to work together in that type of situation. And from the start, making sure you're addressing those risks. Now, you do run the risk of playing the what-if game. You could spend your entire career doing that. So I think it's really important to, when there is an event there is an actual thing that has actually occurred and not a made-up scenario, I think it is really valuable to go back with your team within the organization and talk through those things. How would this, again, impact us? And what are our steps that we can take to possibly reduce that risk? We're talking about incident response a bit. We were talking about stoicism. We talked about Ryan Holiday. He has a book called Stillness is the Key. And it's all about being able to have that calm mind uh, at all times. And a lot of times, whenever we're practicing that stillness, it's outside of the realm that we're actually practicing. So when we're in the middle of an incident, having that calm mind usually comes from being able to practice outside of that scenario. How do you center your mind these days outside of cybersecurity? How do you become mindful and present and practice that, that skill? I'd say, well, with the business, it's certainly through tabletop exercises. That is the closest thing I feel we can get to where everyone is, is feeling some level of stress, right? And whether it's just on paper, whether it's an actual exercise where you bring in an outside firm to, to cause havoc or cause some incident in your environment, I think it's really important to to have that level of stress while you're trying to make critical business decisions. And then once, once you've lowered those stress levels, going back and re-reviewing those. I had a really interesting one that I always go back to where the exercise was basically a full compromise, the AWS environment and all customer data and the comms team 
rushing to get something generated, right? The the firm we brought in created uh, time box scenarios where we needed to get something out the door and we didn't have anything prepared. There was no boilerplate of, okay, we'd maybe say this or that. It was really interesting to go back a month later and read the generated content from that team when you're not extremely stressed, right? There's There were multiple things of like, oh, we should have used that word or we should have phrased this differently. So I think really getting folks into that mindset is what's most valuable. In in other, other ways to how do you practice stillness, it's really disconnecting. It's again, being purposeful of closing your laptop, like any anyone else out there, you probably have your email on your phone, Slack or Teams or whatever messaging system your organization uses. Turning that stuff off and, and disconnecting at least for some period of time, whether it's an hour or during your vacation, obviously your role within the organization is going to dictate how long you can be off the grid, but really having that purposeful control over your own time. Because you could say, okay, this hour, every Wednesday, I'm just, I'm not going to read any email. I'm not going to look at any social media. I'm not going to respond to anything at work. That hour is going to be for me or only me or for me and my kids or for me and my family or whatever it is that you could do to separate it out. I think it's even more important in the world we're in now with working from home where it, depending on your situation, you might be in, in one room where your office is your living room and bedroom and mm -hmm. you don't really have the ability to disconnect completely. I, I think that's really important for mental health to really be purposeful with your time. There's somebody listening right now that has so much experience. They have so much knowledge that they've gained over a very long career. And much like yourself, they feel like they want to share that message with somebody, whether it's through podcasting or writing a book or videos. What piece of advice would you have for that person that's about to embark on that journey to share their knowledge with the world? Just do it. Whatever you're thinking, whatever medium you're thinking about putting the content out there, just put it out there and start. The The thing I, I think the other part I've learned from stoicism is every minute wasted is something you can't get back. So just start it, right? Like I could have in so many situations just called it in and thrown in the towel on on writing the book but each time I was like okay I'm going to I'm going to get another page done I'm just going to set that or just get another paragraph done and then all of a sudden you've got 25 pages of text and then 50 and then 100 and then you've got a whole book so just start it doesn't matter where your where your outlet is but just do it Great advice, Chris. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. For all the folks that want to stay up to date with you, pre-order the book, what are the best ways that people can do that? LinkedIn is fantastic. I'm on there quite a bit and the book is available for pre-order from all your favorite locations, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Just search for the title or my name and it'll pop, uh, pop right up. Awesome. And we'll be sure to drop your LinkedIn and a link to your book along with the title in the show notes, just so everyone can pre-order and get their copy right when it comes out. Thanks so much, Chris, for joining us and we'll see everyone next time. Thank you. If you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media 
told a friend or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. 